Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Winter is upon us, and with that comes the cold weather. I still enjoy the cold weather, although not as much as I did when I was a kid, when cold weather meant perhaps I wouldn't have to go to school the next day if it snowed enough. When it would snow, I would head outside with my friends, and we would not come back until we were either told to, or if we had an open day, we would be frostbite, freezing cold, and even then they would have to drag us inside. We would have snowball fights, we'd go sledding, build snow forts, any number of things. I remember one time we'd spent the day building this fort. It got dark and we decided to go and play a game called Manhunt, which was a form of team tag where you grab the person, drag them back to jail. When you grabbed them, you had to say one, two, three, Manhunt while holding on to them. And it could get rough trying to break free, and the snow we thought would add a really interesting change of pace to the game. The boundaries were this two block area, and the jail where you were taken when you were caught in the Manhunt was down by the fort. So we start off and I run up to the ridge and I kind of creep around this house and I found a really good place to hide. And I sat there and it got really cold. So I'm waiting and nobody comes looking for me. So I creep back out and I look and there's nobody there. So I start moving slowly toward the base and I can just see in the distance that nobody's there either. So I think, oh, I can't believe this. They stopped playing. I got home just about the time dinner was served. I ate. It was a great night because my sister had brought home ice cream from the supermarket, which was weird because usually we bought ice cream about once a month. So this was a real treat, and I remember she bought it because It's a Wonderful Life was going to be on that night. So my family sat down on the couch, turned on the movie, and started watching. About 45 minutes into it, there was a knock on the door. My sister gets up to get it. I hear my friends out there talking. I go to the window and look out, and it's everyone who had been playing Manhunt with me outside in front of the house. Two of my best friends come inside the house, standing in this front room area, because they have snow all over them, and they start freaking out on me. Where you been? We've been looking all over for you. Why did you leave? Tried to explain to them, I didn't see you guys. And they were like, well, we couldn't find you, so we were changing the rules that everybody who was caught had to go and look for you. So we thought you were just really good at hiding, and you were cheating. I explained to them I didn't mean to cheat, I'd just come home. I got such a cold shoulder every time we tried to play a game they'd be like don't cheat this time you know like kids like to do i had to put up with that that whole winter and it wasn't until the spring maybe even the summer that it finally abated and from that point on i never walked off the play field without informing everyone that i was heading home just in case nobody wants to be labeled to cheat the best thing about that night is while they were outside freezing i was at home comfort of my own house with my family watching a great movie And on today's show, we're going to talk about that movie. We're going to talk about the plot of It's a Wonderful Life, the cast, the story it's based on, how well it did, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us. So without further ado, let's start the show.
It's a Wonderful Life. It's a 1946 drama produced and directed by Frank Capra. It was based on the short story The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern. The Greatest Gift takes place in the Christmas of 1943, and it's about George Pratt, a man who is unsatisfied with his life and is ready to commit suicide, and he's standing on a bridge. At this point, a guy approaches him, and they get to speaking, and George says, I wish I was never born. That man then says, okay, you were never born. George doesn't understand, but is given a satchel and told to pretend to be a door-to-door salesman and visit the people in his life to see how their lives turned out without him. He does this and finds out that nobody knows him, just like in the movie. He also finds out that their lives are a lot worse because he had not been born. George eventually regrets his decision, returns to the man, and is given his life back. And he knows that it is good that he has lived and existed, because without him, things would have been a lot worse. The story was inspired by a dream that Stern had. He started working on it in 1939 and finished it in 43. Since he couldn't find anybody to publish it, he had 200 copies of it made up into a booklet and sent them to friends as Christmas gifts. Eventually, the story came to the attention of RKO Pictures, who got Cary Grant attached to the role. The story would have a couple of screenwriters who'd work on it, and eventually would wind up in the hands of Frank Capra. He would turn that story into It's a Wonderful Life. Capra, along with Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, Michael Wilson, Joe Swirling, and Dorothy Parker would all work on the script. Although all these people worked on it, the credit for the film went to Hackett, Capra, Goodrich, with Joe Swirling getting credited for additional scenes. Frank Russell Capra was born Francesco Rosario Capra in 1897, passed away in 91. He was born in Sicily, moved to the U.S. when he was six, and would become a very well-renowned director in Hollywood. The film was shot at Archeo Studios in Culver City, California, and the Archeo Movie Ranch in Encino, California. It was a very large set. They transformed the set for the 1931 film Cimarron, which had covered four acres, into this monstrous mammoth Bedford Falls. Its main street alone was three city blocks and had 75 stores and buildings. The name Bedford Falls was combined from two places, Bedford Hills in Westchester County, New York, and Seneca Falls, which is a town up by Rochester and Syracuse in upstate New York. While they never mention exactly where Bedford Falls is supposed to be, It is most likely supposed to be upstate New York because they mention the town of Elmira in the movie, which is not far from Seneca Falls. Seneca Falls claims that Capra, when he visited their town in 1945, was inspired to model Bedford Falls after it, and the town has an annual It's a Wonderful Life film festival every December. So if you have the opportunity, head up there and check out the theater, stay at the Hotel Clarence, and visit the It's a Wonderful Life Museum. Sadly, the Archeo Ranch in Encino was demolished in 1954, so only two locations from the movie survive to this day. The first is the swimming pool, which is located at the gymnasium at Beverly Hills High School. The second is the Martini Home, which still exists out there in California. This was filmed in California, and yet it's supposed to be upstate New York. There's a lot of snow scenes to make it very wintry. It was actually hot on set. You could see Jimmy Stewart is sweating during some scenes when it's supposed to be snowy. How did they make all that wonderful snow? 
Well, back in the day, they used to paint cornflakes white, and that would be the snowfall that you would see. But when cornflakes fall from the sky, they're loud. So whenever you had a snow scene in movies, you would have to dub the dialogue in later to cover over the sound of the snow. Capra wanted the sound to be live, so a new effect using something called fomite, which is a firefighting chemical, added to soap and water was used. This mixture would be pumped at high pressure through a machine, and it created quiet, falling snow. In fact, 6,000 gallons of this snow were used in the film, and if you watch the film, it looks great. The effects department at RKO would receive an award from the Motion Picture Academy for developing this snow, which would be used in other movies afterwards. Today's show is brought to you by a local building and loan. Do you need money? How about a loan? What's the trouble with you, Bucky? You look a little ill, to be sure. Well, I'll guarantee there's nothing wrong with me that a little extra money couldn't cure. Nothing more useful than a loan. It's a Wonderful Life, as I mentioned, takes place in Bedford Falls. George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, is deeply troubled as the film begins and is thinking of killing himself. An angel, second class, named Clarence Oddbody, is sent to help him through his time. But first, we need to know all about George, and we find out that he has been a fairly heroic person throughout his life, rescuing his little brother when he was a kid, even at the cost of some of his hearing helping the local pharmacist who was having some problems and who almost made a fatal mistake. And probably most importantly, he takes over his family's building and loan association. Along the way, we meet his very colorful family and friends, and we see him slowly but surely fall in love with Mary Hatch, who would become Mary Bailey, his wife. We also meet Mr. Potter, a slumlord, guy who's just interested in making money and very little else. While George is helping everybody's life, things go bad when his uncle Billy loses of the building and loans money, and Potter finds that money, keeps it, and knowing that this will ruin the bank, is quite happy about it, because he'll finally win against those Baileys who've been trying to do good all these years. George freaks out, and much like the George in the story, heads to the bridge to kill himself, and this is where he meets Clarence, his guardian angel, and is given the gift of seeing the world without him in it, and the world is horrible. His brother died, The pharmacist that he worked for did make a horrible mistake. The town is a horrible slum because he wasn't there to help. Plus, his brother had become a hero during World War II, and because he's not there now, the people that he was heroically saving, they all didn't make it either. At this point, George runs back to the bridge and wants his life back. He does. He doesn't care if he has to go to jail. He runs home. He's really happy to see his family. And then the town comes together in this beautiful moment that should give you chills, and they chip in the money to save the building and loan. He was there for them over the years, and now they are all there for him. It's a wonderful moment. Now, a quick overview of the cast. This film has a gigantic cast, so I'll try to keep it short. Jimmy Stewart played George Bailey, James Maitland Stewart, war hero, movie star. He's done so many things, so it's hard to say what he's best known for. Just maybe best known for being Jimmy Stewart. 
while Capra really liked Jimmy Stewart for the role. Henry Fonda was also in the running to play George Bailey. Lionel Barrymore, who played Mr. Potter, eventually convinced Jimmy Stewart to take the role of George, despite the fact that Stewart felt he wasn't ready to act yet because he had just gotten back from fighting in World War II. Donna Reed played Mary Hatch, who would become Mary Bailey. As a kid, Mary Hatch is played by Jean Gale. Donna Reed is an award-winning American actress, acted in From Here to Eternity and the very famous early sitcom The Donna Reed Show. Later on, for a short time, she would work on the TV show Dallas. Other people up for her role in the movie were Gene Arthur, Ginger Rogers, and Anne Dvorak. A fun fact, there's a scene where Mary has to throw a rock through this house and make a wish, and they had hired a guy to shoot the window at the same time to add to the realism of the moment, but they didn't need to because Donna Reed had a cannon. She had played baseball in high school, and boom, hit that window right away. Henry Travers played Clarence Oddbody, the angel, English actor, probably best known for It's a Wonderful Life, but he was also in the, I want to say underrated, but not as appreciated film Mrs. Miniver. Lionel Barrymore played Mr. Henry F. Potter. He's the granduncle of Drew Barrymore, if the name sounds familiar. Tremendous actor, part of a big family of actors. While he won a Best Actor Award for the 1931 film A Free Soul, it is probably his turn as Mr. Potter that most people remember him for. The role would go to him, but he was up against a lot of other people, including Edward Arnold, Edgar Buchanan, Raymond Massey, and... Vincent Price. I would imagine this would be a very different movie if Vincent Price played that role. Thomas Mitchell played Billy Bailey, George's uncle. Thomas Mitchell was from Elizabeth, New Jersey. In addition to his role in It's a Wonderful Life, he was in John Ford's Stagecoach and played the father of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. While he would ultimately land this role, W.C. Fields was also up for the role. Beulah Bondi played Ma Bailey, great actress, would play the mother of Jimmy Stewart in four films, including It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. She won an Emmy later in life for the television series The Waltons. Frank Phelan played Ernie Bishop, and Ward Bond played Bert the Cop. I only mention them because Bert and Ernie are their names, and there's a big talk about were the characters of Bert and Ernie named after these two characters. It seems it's just a big coincidence. Even though Jim Henson said he was a fan of this film, it seems that they just pulled those names maybe out of the back of his mind he was thinking of this movie. But on record, the naming of these characters is purely coincidental. Gloria Graham played Violet Bick. Young Violet Bick was played by Janine Ann Roos. Worked in some good noir films and also the musical Oklahoma. H.B. Warner played Mr. Gower. British actor, big in the silent era, starting in 1914 when he worked in The Lost Paradise, and culminating in the role of Jesus in the Cecil B. DeMille film The King of Kings in 1927. He would continue to work for years afterwards. Todd Carnes played Harry Bailey. Young Harry Bailey was played by George Noakes, probably best known for his work on It's a Wonderful Life, but he also appeared with his father, Roscoe Kearns, on the Dumont television network show Rocky King, Inside Detective. Samuel S. Hins played Peter Bailey, the dad, worked in the Capra films You Can't Take It With You and It's a Wonderful Life, also worked on a great movie, Buck Privates, with Abbott and Costello. Love that movie. Frank Albertson played Sam Wainwright. Young Sam Wainwright was played by Ronnie Ralph made over 100 appearances in movies and television. Song and Dance Man, very talented, probably best known, though, for his work on It's a Wonderful Life. Died in his 50s, too young. Lillian Randolph played Annie, prolific 
actress, worked in early radio, film, and television. Probably best known, if you're a fan of old-time radio, as Bertie Lee Coggins on The Great Gildersleeve and as Madam Queen on Amos and Andy. She would also play the role of Beulah, as would her sister, Amanda. Now, there was a lot of other people in this movie. I just want to bring up a small role. Carl Alfalfa Switzer played Freddy, who was a suitor to a young Mary. If the name Carl Switzer sounds familiar, it's because he played Alfalfa in the Our Gang short subjects. After these messages, we'll be right back. Uh, Mary, we, we've been seeing each other for years now, yes. and I think it's about time we yes. tried Little Debbie single packs. I mean, they're so handy, the nutty bars and the fudge brownie. Little Debbie snack cakes. By the box or single pack, Little Debbie has a snack for you. Uh, uh, Swiss rolls, oatmeal cream pies. Oh, I nearly forgot. Would you marry me? What, uh, think about it. Just, just take your time. At the 1904 World's Fair, Harvey Firestone received a gold medal for his tires. But to Harvey, the real proof that he was building a good tire was people were buying it. Just about every car on the fairground was riding on Firestone. Today, the Firestone 721 is being proved the same way. American drivers have bought over 20 million 721s. Now, Harvey always said, give people a good product, they'll buy it. And now, back to the show. The music in It's a Wonderful Life was put together by Dmitry Tiomkin, Ukrainian-born film score composer and conductor, did a lot of work for a lot of movies, would have 22 Academy Award nominations and win four awards. Some of the things he did the music for are The Alamo, Dial M for Murder, The Guns of Navarone, and Lost Horizon. During It's a Wonderful Life, a lot of the music that Tiomkin had worked on was cut from the film. And this bothered the composer, who had worked with Capra on other things before. In fact, in his biography, he called the editing of his stuff an all-around scissors job. So maybe a little heavy-handed by Capra in his opinion. Although it's hard to argue with the end results. When It's a Wonderful Life was released, it had mixed reviews. It would premiere at the Globe Theater in New York on December 20th, 1946, just in time for Christmas, and went into general release on January 7th, 1947. And now why did they release it a little earlier? It's because they were hoping to get in quickly into 1946 so they could be considered for that year's Academy Awards. The film was controversial at the time because of what some people thought was an overt political message. In fact, there was an FBI memo issued about the film. And I'll quote it here. With regards to the picture, It's a Wonderful Life, then there's a name redacted, stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. In addition, redacted name stated that, in his opinion, this picture deliberately maligned the upper class, attempting to show the people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Now, I've actually heard this repeated to me by other people who hate this movie just for that reason. I think they need to rewatch it, because although Potter is a villain, it also shows bankers in a good light, because George himself is a banker. And while he might not be a rich banker, he is a helpful and good person who believes in the capitalist system. So I think it has to do with the fact that everybody was a little scared of communists back then. So how did It's Wonderful Life do back then? 
what else was playing exactly at the time. Here's Doug McCoy with his segment, Also Ran. Hey, I'm Doug, and this is Also Ran. What also ran alongside It's a Wonderful Life in the theaters of 1946? Who did George and Clarence have to share the silver screen with? Well, only some of the greatest actors of that time and any time. There were films out that year starring Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Glenn Ford, Rita Hayworth, Judy Garland, Frank Sinatra, Cary Grant, and Gregory Peck, just to name a few. 1946 saw movies such as Disney's Song of the South, Blue Skies, The Yearling, Notorious, Gilda, The Postman Always Rings Twice, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Big Sleep, Angel on My Shoulder, Great Expectations, The Jolson Story, The She-Wolf of London, My Darling Clementine, Terror by Night, and The Verdict. So how did It's a Wonderful Life do against all that competition? Not too well in 1946. It's a Wonderful Life bombed upon its initial release. It didn't break into the top 10 films of the year. It barely remade its production costs. However, while it wasn't a hit upon its initial release, it has become a hit in recent years. It has become associated with Christmas, inseparably associated with Christmas for many of us, and is shown every year at Christmas time. And you can't say that about the yearling. So I'm Doug, and this has been Also Ran. Thanks, Doug. While the film might not have been a huge hit for the time, it is beloved nowadays. And Jimmy Stewart himself, and he did a lot of movies, said back in the 70s that of all the movies he did, It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite. And it is a very powerful movie. Now, even though it did not win, the movie would get five Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director for Capra, Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart, Best Editor for William Hornbeck, and Best Sound Recording for John Alberg. Unfortunately, another movie, The Best Year of Our Lives, came out that year and was a big commercial success. It was about a serviceman attempting to return after World War II, a very common occurrence at the time and something that really appealed to people, so it won most of the awards that year. And while it is a wonderful movie, which one do you remember? Well, you probably remember it so well because the movie was shown all the time, and this probably had to do with a clerical error that prevented the copyright in the movie from being renewed back in 1974. But just because the film's copyright wasn't properly renewed back then didn't mean that nobody had to pay royalties. The film's images had entered into the public domain, but the story of the film was protected because it was a derivative work of a published story, The Greatest Gift, whose copyright had been renewed by Van Doren Stern back in 71. But it must have still been pretty cheap to show because throughout the 70s and especially in the 80s, they reran this movie during the holiday seasons hundreds of times on local television stations. If you have seen this movie, you probably enjoy the lush black and white cinematography. You might also have seen the colorized version, which I'm not a huge fan of. But if you are, there are three colorized versions to choose from. 
There was one in 1986 by Hal Roach Studios, a second produced in 89 by Republic Pictures, and a third produced by Legend Films in 2007. If you have to watch one of them, probably pick the Legend Films one, but I would suggest you watch it in black and white because that's really how the movie was meant to be seen. After these messages, we'll be right back. Harvey Firestone once used a fleet of taxi cabs to improve his tire. Cabs rolled up a lot of miles every day, and Harvey thought that was a good way to judge a tire. Well, that hasn't changed very much. Hot works on the road still a pretty good way to judge a tire. And right now, American drivers are rolling up over 160 million miles every day on Firestone 721 radio. Now, Harvey would say that ought to tell you something about the 721. When you help start a scout troop, there's no guarantee that one of the scouts will grow up and be in the movies. But you never know. Call the Boy Scouts of America. And now, back to the show. In the 80s and 90s, the film was released on VHS and was distributed by lots of different companies. I worked at a video store back in the day, and we sold various different versions, some really cheap, others moderately priced. When Republic reclaimed the rights to the film, all the unofficial VHS copies were destroyed. The home video rights of the film would go from Republic to Artisan, and then Artisan would sell them to Lionsgate, and then Lionsgate would sell them to Paramount, who now has the largest home video rights to the film. You can, of course, get the movie today in DVD and Blu-ray, but there was an interesting release back in 1993. A CD-ROM version of the movie was released for Windows. This was back when Windows was still Windows 3.1. Kind of an interesting release in that it allowed you to follow along with the script while you wanted to and sort of showed us what the potential of DVD would be. This release was the longest running video on a computer at the time. In fact, at the time, Windows could only play back about 35 minutes at 15 frames per second. But with Kinesoft working on this, they were able to enhance the video features of Windows to allow for the playback of the entire movie. Lux presents Hollywood. Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a fan of old-time radio, there are three great It's a Wonderful Life radio broadcasts. There was a Lux Radio Theater and then two Screen Guild Theater broadcasts. In all three productions, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed reprised their roles. So if you do not have a television, you can listen to It's a Wonderful Life on your radio, iPod, and take it with you wherever you're going for the holidays. While thinking about doing this, I tried to get in the mood by watching episodes of television that sort of ripped off It's a Wonderful Life, and there are too many to even mention. There was a 1977 television movie called It Happened One Christmas that was based on the Van Doren Stern story. 
What's interesting about it is that it's a gender swap version of It's a Wonderful Life with Marlo Thomas playing Mary Bailey, Wayne Rogers as George Hatch, Loris Leachman as the angel Clara Oddbody, and Orson Welles played Mr. Potter. This is classic late 70s television, so if you get the opportunity, do pick this up. It was only rebroadcast in 78 and 79, and there have been no rebroadcasts since, nor has it been released on home video, but the gray market does allow access to it. It's a Wonderful Life is a holiday classic that should be seen by everyone. It has a great message. It is very well acted. So this holiday season, get out of the cold, plop down on the couch with some ice cream, and enjoy the movie. Just make sure that you tell your friends you're going to do it beforehand, or it's going to be a rough winter. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. Here's a brand new listener mail. It's sent by Jim Lawrence. And Jim asks, how do you select what shows you're going to do for the Retroist podcast? Quick answer to that would be I have a list of episodes that I'd like to do, and I do try to record them and sometimes they don't turn out very well, but I just move on to the next one in the queue. Sometimes something inspires me, but I am very open to suggestions, and I am easily swayed and inspired to try new things. So if you have a suggestion, you can email it to me, along with any other questions you have for me, at retroist at retroist.com. Thanks to Doug McCoy for another great also ran. You can find Doug's posts on the Retroist or at his website, authordougmccoy.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Robot voice. What kind of production is this? This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.